0: Hi, I'm Michael Senoff, founder and CEO of HardToFindSeminars.com. For the last five years, I've interviewed the world's best business and marketing minds. Along the way, I've created a successful publishing business all from home from my two-car garage. When my first child was born, he was very sick, and it was then that I knew I had to have a business that I could operate from home. Now my challenge is to build the world's largest free resource for online
1: Michael, if I can say this, selling is an art form. Art begins on a blank canvas,
0: and then a man or
1: woman takes a medium, charcoal, oil, they paint something that's pleasing to the eye, where the person that sees it wants it on their walls, and will exchange their money for this art. Well, selling is an art form, but you don't use a paintbrush, you don't use a blank canvas. You're painting images with your words and what you say in the minds
0: of the person listening to you. (laughs) Hi, this is Michael Sinoff with Michael Sinoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. I'm really pleased and honored to bring to you a very special interview with a legend in the sales training industry. His name is Tom Hopkins. Tom Hopkins is recognized as the world's leading authority on selling techniques and salesmanship. Over 3 million people on five continents have attended Tom's high-energy live seminars. Tom's talent of teaching in a creative and entertaining style has brought him a huge following, as well as constant demand for appearances at regional and national conventions each year. Tom Hopkins didn't
1: find success easily. He was
0: born in Burbank, California. He quit college after only three months, and at 19 years old, he was married with a baby on the way. He then took a job in construction. It wasn't too long before Tom decided that this was not the way he wanted to spend the rest of his life. So he took a job that he thought was going to be easier, and that was selling real estate. Six months into his real estate career, Tom's income was only $42 a month. He realized at this point that he was not making any money in sales because he didn't know how to sell. He had discovered that all the top producers in sales had extensive sales training, so he set out to learn everything he could about the profession and how to do professional selling. With the drive he had, the determination with his back against the wall, and the knowledge, Tom Hopkins was able to build his sales volume to over $14 million within five years. In 1976, Tom founded Tom Hopkins International Incorporated Incorporated. incorporated, and he since then has dedicated his life and his company to teaching and inspiring others through his seminars, books, audios, and video training programs. Today, over 35,000 corporations and countless professional salespeople through the world utilize his professional sales training materials. So in this interview, you're going to hear me grill Tom Hopkins for an entire 60 minutes. We're also going to field questions from some of the students from com. There's a lot to cover, and this interview is the kind of interview you need to listen to three or four times. Every time you do, you'll learn something new that you hadn't during the time previous. So let's get going, and I hope you enjoy. What is selling, and how does it differ from marketing?
1: In my opinion, let's reverse it. Marketing is the plan to get the product to the consumer at a profit. That's the overall plan of marketing.
0: The Selling
1: is the going out with the plan and presenting it at the point of sale. Now, of course, it'd be like a great retail outlet. They have their locations, their leases, their products and services, and they advertise and they try to drive people into their locations. Then when the person comes in, they meet a person that's a representative called a salesperson, and that is when the selling starts. So the marketing gets the plan out, and the salespeople implement it by prospecting by qualifying and presenting and closing sales.
0: How about negotiating? How would you say selling is different from negotiating?
1: Well, it depends on the product or service. There are some products that the negotiation process plays a major role in the actual presenting of the product, but most salespeople don't really negotiate as much as they do their best to lead the person that should own the product to say yes and take advantage of the opportunity.
0: Were you successful as a salesperson when you first got started?
1: No, no, to the contrary. I had a lot going against me. I was a construction worker right out of high school,
0: and after
1: a year of that, I said, I'm going to try to do something else, and I went and got a real estate license, and I was kind of unique to be 18 and going into real estate. Back then, it was a real middle-aged man's business. There were very few teenagers and women in the business. And so I got my license and started, but I had a lot going against me. I didn't have a car when I got into real estate. I was riding a motorcycle, and I needed to make some money to get a car. And then all of a sudden, in six months, I'd only made one little sale. And I always tease the audiences that I didn't really make the sale. I was the only one in the office, and the man wanted the property, and he <laughs> helped me fill out the darn form. You got lucky. I got lucky. Here's the thing that I try to get people to realize. There's some truth in the fact that if you are ready, a teacher can appear. And that teacher, if you become an avid student of their training, can then take you and get you to become a professional. Well, that's kind of what happened to me. I wrote a check for the last $150 I had in the bank, and I went to see a man that many people in sales today don't remember. His title was the guru of American selling back in the 60s and 70s. Who was he? J. Douglas Edwards, and Mr. Edwards had a record. This is back before VHS and before cassettes, but he had a record called Closing the Sale The 13 Basic Closes, and all of us in sales, especially us in commission selling primarily, we listened to his techniques, his strategies, and then with this $150, I went to see him in a three-day program. There was a competition. see you could learn all the phraseology, and I slept two hours a night for two nights, and memorized and won this little award, and that was my start. I took off after that. I had six months of failure and then went to this training. And my boot camp is very, very similar to what Mr. Edwards put me through. I mean, you had to study, you had to compete. It was like a mental going to a boot camp. If anyone listening is aware that it, it's a tough disciplinary program, and that's kind of what I do with my training, make people learn the words, say the words, And then, of course, have a better presentation and a better way of handling people.
0: So what was the most difficult part for you as you grew into a professional? What really was tough for you to take on? at At
1: first... Was getting them to really listen and take my advice because, again, I was so young. People come in the office when I first started, and the first question was, is your father here? And of course, I then had to convince them that I had a real estate license, that I was an agent, and anyone listening to us right now that is very young, let's say anywhere between 19 and 23 or 4, you can do extremely well in sales, but you have to have in depth knowledge. So you can be young. And they'll like to do business with you because they'll see you're a young, hard-working young person. But if you don't know the answers to their questions, if you can't come across as a professional in your presentation skills, they'll probably look for someone else to do business with.
0: How were you able to hone your skills over the time? Other than that one boot camp, I mean, were you a maniac when it came to studying and mastering sales?
1: Well, I was, and I worked very, very hard. That's another thing. I only took three days off in my first three years in real estate. And those were Christmas days. But I had a commitment. I was going to prove my father wrong. We didn't think I'd amount to anything because I didn't go to college. And so I worked very, very hard. Now, that three years of seven days a week allowed me to build such a momentum and such a nice amount of sales and referrals that the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth year, I could put in less time and make more money because I built the foundation. See, some people in business They don't want to put in a committed amount of time of of fanaticism to build the business. And you almost have to. Anyone who I have seen become successful. I think one of the greatest examples that most people in the United States are aware of is P.F. Changs. Paul Fleming, I met when he opened up his first Scottsdale, Arizona, P.F. Chang's, the very first one. And I fell in love with the food, so I keep going in there, and I saw this man sit at the end of the bar all day long, all evening long, reading newspaper, watching. And finally, I went up to him, and I said, you know, I'm curious. I'm in business here in the community, and i got to tell you, I love this place, but you're here all the time. He goes, I know you come in. My name is Paul Fleming. I said, you're the P.F. in P.F. Chang's? He said, yes. I said, well, my God, you are here all the time. And he says, I'm going to quality duplicate everything we do in this restaurant around the United States. And, of course, that's what's happened. There's over 150, I think closer to 175 now, P.F. Chang. And, of course, he's taken his bundle and left. But it took that fanaticism and time and effort to get that whole restaurant operation up to where it was.
0: So you say there's no free lunch. You're going to have to do the work, make the calls, and be willing to fail.
1: you got to learn to love rejection when you start. It's a game you have to play. It's not fun, but I will say this. I've learned over the years, those that take the biggest risk get the biggest reward, and those people that are willing to put their ego on the line and are willing to suffer the possible failure or rejections that life brings to you and keep your attitude while you're doing it, eventually they will become successful. When you were young, were you married with a family or single? No, I married very young. I married my high school sweetheart, and we right away started having babies. So I had the three children, and again, that was another thing. I did take the kids out a lot with me on appointments, but that first three years, they were little babies and toddlers, and of course I'd hug them and squeeze them and let them know Daddy loved them. But I also said, hey, i got to build this business. And of course, today they've grown up and have their own kids, and it's amazing how much of what I taught them they're teaching my grandkids.
0: Right, but your back was against the wall. You had to do it.
1: I really did. Without an education back then, it's even more so today. I was an iron worker carrying steel on bridge decks out in California and it's the hardest physical labor on the planet. And I did that for a year, and of course I'm only five foot seven, so I always tease the audience and say I was six two when I started carrying steel. <laughs> I had to do something else.
0: Okay. Anyway, I
1: luckily found the real estate business. And I hope everybody that's listening is fortunate to find their niche in life. And I define the niche in life as finding a business that brings you an income that is not work. It's something you just love to do. And the money becomes a byproduct of how well you do it.
0: Yeah, that's smart. Who were some of your other mentors that really influenced you?
1: Well, on the attitudinal side, it would be Earl Nightingale. Earl created, again, a program called Lead the Field and his recordings I invested in every month, and he was very inspirational in the attitudinal part of my life. The sales skills was J. Douglas Edwards and another man named Larry Wilson. And Larry Wilson founded the Wilson Learning Institute in Minneapolis, Minnesota, many years ago, maybe 35 years ago, but was one of the most dynamic instructors, trainers, and I just, in a way, copied those folks until I made it all mine and then, of course, developed my own skills and then taught it to others.
0: You're listening to an exclusive interview found on Michael Sinoff's hardtofindseminars.com. What do you think, Tom, is the most effective and economical way to sell now with the Internet and everything? Any feedback on that? The
1: Internet and electronic transactions and all of this is wonderful. But I totally believe, in most especially your larger products and services, that people want to do business with a human being
0: and I really believe they
1: may shop, they may get the prices, they may compare on the Internet, but I also feel a lot of them will walk into a nice location and want someone there to help them and serve them and help them in the process of the purchase.
0: You know your website is pretty extensive and it's pretty personal. You have videos. You can go to your site tomhopkins.com and really get a feel for who you are. Have you found that to be effective? And how are sales of some of your higher end products and your trainings going since you've had your online? Well,
1: what it has done, definitely, it has given me, Michael, a chance to talk to more people and to contact more people, and it's done well. It's replaced a couple seminars a month as far as our growth, which is good for me because I'm trying in a way to wind down and not do as many as I've always done. I have a personal goal that you may not be aware of, but there's never been a speaker, a motivator, a trainer, whatever you want to call us, that has done 5,000 one-day seminars in their career, and I'm at 4,586. And I have a goal to hit that 5,000 mark, and when I do that, I think I'll have a legacy of training that I can be very proud to leave, and then, of course, just do my passion, which is play golf.
0: That's right. So after 5,000, you want to kind of slow it down and get off the road?
1: Yeah, I would think that would be very true. Based on the number of dates I do a year, if I continue at exactly my pace today, I will be right at 72, and I think that's the age when I'm going to be saying, hey, it's been a great ride. You know, I've trained five, six million people in sales, so it's time for me to take the clubs out. and That won't be easy for me because I love the teaching so much. I watched Big Ziegler; I was with him last week. And he's just celebrated his 80th birthday and he still gets up there with the power and the excitement. And I was 21 when I went to see him for the first time. So, I mean, there's an example that I think age is so much in the mind. And I think that how uh, people respect if you've been around a lot of years, especially I update my training. I go out with some of the top producers out in the street today, kids in their 30s and 40s, and I pick their brains and then add that training and give them credit, but teach their techniques. So it's always being updated.
0: Yeah, you'll probably reach 5,000. You'll retire and then you'll say, I want to get back on the road in front of the people. It happens all the time. I hope not, Michael. I
1: don't want to do
0: that. That's a lot of time on the road. I don't know. Do you get used to being on the road that much?
1: Well, let me say this. When I first started doing the seminar business 30 some years ago, travel was a snap. We'd show up an hour before the flight, go through, no security. Jump on the plane and there, boom. Today, some of the major airports, the security is so long. I stood an hour and a half or two trying to get through security. That is stressful. The travel is the toughest part of my work. Once I hit the stage, once the audience and I take off together, it's just wonderful. And that six hours goes by in a blur. But the getting there and the hotels and that is very, very tough. Fortunately, I'm blessed. I have a man that travels with me. His main job is to take all of the details and have the room set, the lighting, the audio, all the video, everything set. So when I come on in the morning, I don't have to think about those details, which that has been very, very helpful.
0: All right. Tom, because of the Internet, are you seeing out there in the public that people are spending less time face-to-face doing personal selling and falling back on that impersonal tool of the Internet? Yeah, I am, and it's kind of sad in a way. You know, any time
1: that many salespeople can avoid the chance of being personally rejected, they will follow that course.
0: And I've always had a belief
1: that the eyeball-to-eyeball of meeting a client, a future prospect, I think is the finest way. I try to tell realtors today that they still need to go out and visit with neighbors because timing is part of success. You can go up the street and talk to the folks, let them know you're in business in the community, And you'd be amazed how all of a sudden you'll hit someone who's just received a transfer notice and they were looking for a realtor and there you were and bingo, you're doing business.
0: How do you think government regulations and laws that are going into effect now and in the future, like the do not call list, and I know in California there's some laws with people in the professional services industry before they need a prospect face-to-face, they have to send a letter. Have you seen out there any frustrations from salespeople with these regulations that are making it more difficult for them? I have. And, again, the
1: people that don't want to go out and prospect, they love the regulations because it's a cop-out. One of the things I'm teaching, and, again, and this is one of the ideas that I've been working on teaching is when a person does business with a client, they get a letter from that client and a client actually asks them to visit with friends and neighbors, and they were so pleased with what you did that they'll help you meet other people. Now, my real estate buddies, you can get a letter from a seller, and the listing is an employment agreement with a fiduciary relationship that you must do what the seller asks you to do, and you get a letter from the seller saying, Mr. Hopkins, it's come to my knowledge that the average home sells to a person that lives within six blocks or a friend of a person in that area, and I'm asking you in writing as your employer with this listing agreement to go visit at least a hundred people in a six block radius and let them know that we have a property that's available at a fine value and see if they have a friend or relative. Now you get that in writing That does away with the do not call or the do not knock, which we call it when you make cold canvas.
0: That's a great technique. Tom, in your book, Selling for Dummies, you outline seven steps of the sales cycle. One, prospecting, original contact, qualification, presenting, addressing concerns, closing the sale, and getting referrals. Out of this cycle, where do you see most salespeople making mistakes?
1: Oh, boy, it depends on the person. I'll give you a quick overview. The prospecting is the key because activity and making contacts will result in increased sales and productivity. I had a graph for five years, and if the contacts I made, both in person or on the telephone, were down this month, meaning I wasn't having the activity up, my productivity and sales were down the month or two after. Then, of course, if I increase my activities, my thank you notes, my follow-up, my calls, then, of course, it would pick up the next month or two. So, again, the activity, but most people prospecting is their biggest challenge. That's why I've tried to create some ways that you're not really putting your ego out there and the way you prospect, you're doing it in a real nice way. The second thing, original contact. Well, people judge you in 10 seconds verbally and visually. So if you don't look sharp, smell good, come across professionally, they can be looking down their nose at you. And I've taught this, Michael, for years that the real secret to selling is to develop not only the personality, but to develop the way of doing business where people like you and trust you. And then they want to listen to you as an expert advisor in your industry rather than a salesperson. Yeah, because if they
0: don't like you and trust you, you're not going to get any further.
1: No, nothing works. And that's why, you know, all these little trite sayings, work harder on yourself than you do in your job to be a person that relates to more people, they all will always be true, and those will always be true in business.
0: Well, maybe that kind of rolls into this next question. What do you mean by selling is all in the attitude? How important is attitude? Well,
1: you know, I've always had a little saying, attitude is everything in a way. If you're down, people sense it. If you're not excited about your product, they pick up on it. People say yes to an offering to exchange their money for a product or service, be it an automobile, be it a computer, be it a copier, be it a real estate. They will say yes based more on the person's conviction and belief than they will on the technical skills. So the first thing a salesperson has to do is find a product they really believe in. I've had people at seminars come up at a break and go, you know, Tom, I read your book, and boy, I bet you could sell anything. And I stop them and say, you know, I don't think I could. I really would have to have a burning belief in the product or service, and not just the product, but the benefits the buyer will get after they own it. And that's where I think my strength came from in the real estate business. In my eight years, I loved the business. I closed a lot of home sales to people that didn't think they were going to buy, but when they saw my excitement to have them take advantage of the American dream, the pride of ownership, they said yes to the purchase. I had one guy, Michael, this is cute, about, oh, I'm going to say two years ago. I was in San Francisco doing a seminar, and at the afternoon, 3 o'clock break, a guy comes to the stage, he says, Tom, you don't recognize me, I'm sure, but, and of course, I always try to remember people, but when you meet so many, it's not easy. And so I says, well, tell me about you. He says, well, my wife and I, in 1960, eight now keep in mind how long ago that was, walked into your real estate office and we wanted to rent a home because we had very little money and you sat us down and you talked to us about the experience. opportunity to maybe own a property, how there are properties in the market that maybe need a very small initial investment and that we could get you into. And bottom line, I had a builder, JBR Development was the name of the company, who had four or five repossessed homes sitting there. And I worked out an arrangement where these people put in a very small amount, moved in almost like first and last month's rent. Then every week I would take X dollars from them to the down payment and a year later they bought the home. Now here's what's funny. They paid $21,950 for the the home in 68, three-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath. Today, the house is worth almost $400,000 in California. And, of course, he said, Tom, the greatest equity we've ever had is that one little home, and we've now paid it off, and it's the best thing that's ever happened to us. So those are the
0: things that may keep me doing this. Yeah, I mean, stories like that, when you think that you had a major effect on that guy's life, that's got to feel good. Oh, it's great. What about people who are working for companies, and they're moved into sales positions, or that's part of their job, and they don't totally believe in the products that they're selling, but because it's their job, they have to, I guess, to maybe pay the bills and pay the rent. What would you say to them?
1: Well, I would say, first of all, that's a real tough way to live. To get up in the morning dreading what you're doing, to get up in the morning not excited to go and do the job, that's a tough life. And I've always believed you have one life to live, you might as well find what you love to do, and what I would suggest they do is set a goal. They have to make a commitment to have enough money to live for, say, six months without having to earn money, and then they can get out of that job and spend some time with no pressure to find something they really want to do. But another challenge we have is many people don't think they can sell, and the sad truth is those that don't think they can are often the best because they don't come across like the stereotypical image of a salesperson. See, 96% of the American population don't really like salespeople. So the key is to not come across verbally or visually as a salesperson, more of a real nice person, nice smile, good firm handshake, don't forget their name and do a good presentation, establish that rapport. And another thing is you've got to keep in touch with people. There's almost a sad truth about the field of sales that the average person is always looking for new business and neglects their existing clientele. And their existing clientele can not only do more business with them, but can send a lot of referrals if you keep in touch with them.
0: I know. So many people do that. Why is it we're always after the new customer, the new customer, and we ignore the old one? You
1: know, I think it's human nature. I made a decision when I first got my Real estate license and start making a little money that I was going to keep in touch with every person that either listed their home with me or bought a home from me six times a year. And for the folks listening, regardless of your business, you got to set a goal to contact existing clients in one form or another either by mail or email or by a personal visit or a tie-how-you-do-in-telephone call at least six times a year. And that'll keep them in front of you and you'll be in their minds because they keep hearing from you. And I tied a lot of my follow-Michael to Holidays. You know, I tried to be different than anybody else. For example, Halloween, 1965, I went and bought 500 pumpkins, and I handed them out into a neighborhood and put a little note on the top. You know, when you carve this up, think of me if I can ever serve you. And, of course, I got people calling me saying, man, thanks so much. My kid's been bugging me to get a pumpkin, and that was a really nice gesture to have it on our front porch. So a little things like that. I also believe the handwritten thank-you notes will work better today than they did back in my early days because, again, we have such a lack of real personal contact. And the handwritten thank-you note really, I think, will go a long ways today.
0: Let's talk a little bit about research. How does one get the information they need before they go in on a sales presentation?
1: Well, the first thing I think you need to do is you have to really answer some questions before you decide what the best product is. Now, I use this formula, Michael, I developed as an acronym, and if you can picture the word needs, but it's not spelled N-E-E-D-S, it's spelled N E A. The S, now every letter, is the information you need to gather before you decide on the product and then present to the decision maker. So the N stands for you've got to do research on their existing situation. What do they have now? Because the average American doesn't make drastic changes in buying decisions. So you tell me your past, and that gives me a good inclination about what we'll do in the future. The E in need stands for enjoy. I'd like to know what you liked about what you have now because that you'll want again or something better. And the A of course stands in EA. ALTER, and it's a word I use because it sits in the acronym, but what would you like to change, alter, or improve about what you have now? Then the D in need stands for who is a decision maker. Many people in sales are presenting to the wrong person without doing some qualification questions to find out, Mr. Johnson, if we're fortunate to serve your company's needs with our copier. I know you were probably going to be talking to some other folks, which is great, who other than yourself would be involved in the final decision. That one question is so important. And, of course, the S in needs is solution, and that's really what we come up with. We find out the need, now enjoy, alter, decision-maker, and we come up with the solution. So that's the needs formula to find out what they should say yes to.
0: That's great. Thank you for that. Tom, what culture do you think Americans have the hardest time selling because of culture? Who are the toughest buyers that you've found? The are
1: the toughest because they just have this ability to want to negotiate, but they won't let you know where they are coming from. It's almost they've been raised to hide emotions. They're not going to let you see any spying signs
0: warming up.
1: I found in my eight years in the street, of sales, that the Oriental, the Japanese, these people were the toughest because of lack of showing me how they're feeling emotionally. I would say the self-employed, because see, they're risk-takers, those that own their own little companies. In fact, many of my top sales were to other salespeople in other industries because we could relate to each other. And salespeople are the easiest to sell because, all well, we just are. I mean, I have to be so careful. My wife says, honey, we own enough stuff, will you quit saying yes to these people? And so I have to work on that myself.
0: Right. When selling face-to-face, like consulting services, for example, what have you found is the most effective way for delivering facts or a presentation?
1: Well, first of all, if we were to talk with, say, financial services to a family, and I'll just give you an overview to show this. My job is to take your money that you're spending now and, with a computer, analyze how we can reallocate the money you're spending, how we can get you a better debt benefit in an insurance program, how we can then get you into a mutual fund so you can get a nice return on your money. And so that's my goal. Well, the key is to find people who, again, have the need, and then you have to, first of all, I think, present it in such a way. And I think people have to relax people. Kind of like this, Michael, if I was sitting in front of you. I'd say, Michael, let me just begin by thanking you for the time we're going to share. I hope we can consider our time as somewhat exploratory as to what we can do for you. Our goal is to basically do two things. Reallocate your asset so that you eliminate debt sooner and give you a chance to get a higher interest return on the money we invest. Now, do those two things sound good to you? Yes, they do. Well, of course they do. Every question they've got to really want to say yes to. So the first thing I'd like to do is let's talk about your situation now. And if you wouldn't mind, I don't mean to be personal. And by the way, when you're ever talking money with people, you folks listening, always say not to be personal. Because that relaxes them and now you can become somewhat personal. Because you said, I don't mean to be personal, but I've got to ask you some financial questions just to see how everything I'm going to be discussing fits into your life. That's great. So
0: are you saying that listening is really important?
1: Oh, it's the key. Asking questions and listening is ten times more important than talking. But the challenge with the people that go into sales, most of them are great talkers, and so they just talk too much and listen too little.
0: Have you found that delivering facts in presentations can create unnecessary objections?
1: Well, it depends on the person. There are some buyers. I'm one of them. Don't bore me with a lot of facts. Let me see what it's going to do for me. I'm not real fact-oriented as a temperament and personality. I have other people that I know that they have to not only have the facts, they've got to do so much research, they have to do so much shopping, and I've always kind of been an emotional buyer. If I like it, if I see a suit of clothes that I like, I'm not going to fight the money. I'll try to get a good buy, of course, but it depends on the personality. And there again, I get to know people after doing as many years at the table with people. You almost get a feeling as to what's going to happen in the future because you've been with so many people.
0: For more exclusive interviews on business, marketing, advertising, and copywriting, go to Michael Senoff's Find Seminars dot com. Can we talk a little bit about prospecting through the phone? What's something important that your telemarketers, people who are doing cold calling, can you give some tips that would help them get through to the actual decision maker rather than the blockers?
1: Kinda like Michael, if I called you. Okay, the phone rings, you pick it up, and you greet me, and I say, My name is Tom Hopkins, and I'm in business in the community, I know, as you folks are as well. The company I represent, management, has given me an assignment. They have asked me to call people in the area, let them know about some exciting things we're doing, and so I almost have to, to keep my job, make this call, so let me apologize for any intrusion or any inconvenience, but can I ask you two quick questions so I can make my company happy?
0: What about the people who are going to smell a salesman on the phone, because they've all gotten these survey calls and they know it's either a survey or someone trying to sell something?
1: That's just part of the business. You're going to have some people that hang up, some people that are mad. That's why it's so important you start as fast as possible. It's part of my job to make this call. And I earn my living and feed my family by calling folks. And please, if it's not right for you, I'll understand. But could I do
0: my job and just give you a few ideas about what we're doing in the community? Where do you think this stereotype, this negative perception of salespeople came from? And why is it still so persistent? Here's about take to
1: the bank there's a third of the united states salespeople coming into selling a year there's a third that will always stay have been doing it for all their lives and love it and there's a third every year that leave now the challenge we have is that third that comes in if they're not professionally trained and many companies have no training they just kind of say okay there's your territory go out there and see what you can do and the poor person walks into terrible situations so we have untrained people that say the wrong thing and a lot of us have been sold things that we don't like many times we've had people in sales that have maybe told us an untruth anyone over 40 has had some type of bad experience in a selling situation so once any feeling towards selling starts they relive that experience and that's why there's some people that are very abrupt and kind of nasty in the beginning. You just can't take it personally. When someone rejects you in a presentation, it's not you as a human being. They're rejecting the timing isn't right, the opportunity's not right, the proposal's not right. And so you gotta just get a thick skin, and it does take a thick skin. And you've got to make the numbers, because selling is a numbers game until you build a referral base.
0: I do have a question for Tom, and it relates to a comment made during your recent interview, Michael, with a negotiating expert, as well as many other sales trainers, who contend that scripted presentations and closes are no longer effective, as business professionals are now too advanced to be affected by these techniques. My question is, Tom, I am interested in how you respond to those who say that some of the techniques are passé and can't be used on sophisticated prospects. And I wouldn't disagree
1: with that. One of the things I've always taught is you have to internalize your presentation. It has to be able to be adjusted to the person across the desk or table. There are certain fundamentals that you will always cover. The introductory statement, as I did with you earlier, I think that sets the stage with a thank you for letting me be with you, letting them know this is somewhat exploratory. Then again, I think you have to be real flexible as to your presentation. Now, I'll guarantee you, if there's anyone listening to me right now that makes over a quarter million dollars of income a year who's been out in the field of sales for more than five years i will guarantee you if we strapped a tape recorder under their shirt or blouse and went out and listened to what they say to people both on the phone and in person you would see and hear very very similar things every time because they have honed their presentation that's how they make a quarter million dollars a year it's not scripted it's something they've said so many times it becomes a natural part of them the last thing I try to teach is that you memorize some words that are not sincere or not you, but you do have fundamentals it's just like if the buyer said to me, you know, Tom, it's more than we want to spend. Well, the proven fundamental is just to say I appreciate that. Our company's somewhat flexible as to what we offer. you sure help me out, though, Michael, if you could kind of tell me about how much too much you feel it might be. And let me see if we can't go to work together, okay? See, that's gentle. It's nice. But I'm getting the figure that you and your wife didn't want to pay over 30000 for the swimming pool. And we came in with a proposal for 32000 and you were going to negotiate with me. To get 2,000 less off the pool. And once I have you committed to the money, I then know you want the pool. And all we have to do is help you. Your wife, those three lovely kids that'll bring friends to the home instead of being out at the mall, who'll enjoy the summers in the pool, who will be so pleased that you wouldn't spent this additional two thousand dollars which most of my happiest clients, Michael, they enjoy their pool for about ten years. Which really breaks down to about two hundred dollars a year. And if you took a two week vacation, that would break down to about four dollars a week and of course for under a dollar a day, less than a can of pop. You've got your pool. Does that make sense?
0: You got to really help them see it in their right. You
1: have to with words. I really believe, Michael, if I can say this, selling is an art form. Now, I happen to collect art. I've been investing in art for over 25 years. I have a passion for both realistic and serialistic art. I love them both. I love a seascape. I know that's what it is. But I love a Chagall or a Picasso or a Salvador Dali where they're not sure what was happening when they painted it. But I also have the appreciation of that type of art. Well, see, art begins on a blank canvas, and then a man or woman takes a medium charcoal, oil, they paint something that's pleasing to the eye where the person that sees it wants it on their walls and will exchange their money for this art. Well, selling is an art form, but you don't use a paintbrush. You don't use a blank canvas. You're painting images with your words and what you say in the minds of the person listening to you. Just like, for example, there's words you can't say to people, like the word buy, three-letter word buy. You know, Michael, when you buy this product, right away the word buy smacks them, and they're thinking, we're not here to buy, we're just going to look. So you say the word own constantly instead of the word buy. Or the word contract, contract scares the pants off of people. So you never, ever call it a contract. You just ask if you might draft up your feelings on the paperwork. Did you see it going ahead even makes sense? So, again, it's an art form, but the paintbrush is your mouth and your words. Painting pictures of ownership where the money they pay is less than the benefits they'll get when they take it home.
0: Very good. Here's a question from Jim Peek from MySuccessGateway.com. Tom, what is the state of the sales training and personal development industry today, and where do you see the future heading?
1: Well, I know when I first started doing seminars, there was only about 15 men and women that were nationally known as to seminars. And most of them were not how to sales trainers, they were more motivators. Og Dino, for example, a prolific writer, he was famous. Earl Nightingale, J. Douglas Edwards, Paul Harvey, before he got his radio show, was doing motivational seminars. So all these folks there was 15 of us. Today, as one of the founders of the National Speakers Association, there's over 4,000 members that have on their cards their professional speakers. And the sad truth is, Michael, there are people that you don't know how good they are until you hire them and pay them. And then if they're no good, your company has a black eye because you spent the company money and had someone who was not a competent presenter. Then never ask how much something is without saying, I've got to make sure I offer quality in my company or I look bad. So, I think the future is wonderful for our business. I have so many people come up to my seminar stage, and they go, Tom, I want to do what you do someday. And I go, you know, a lot of people do. The first key is to set a track record that people know you have credibility, know you've done what you're teaching them to do. And if you're 100 pounds overweight, don't talk about goal setting, because that's not your subject, because you aren't living it. And that's another thing. I think people have to live as an instructor that which they teach.
0: Beverly Smith wants to know, what would you determine to be the hardest and biggest challenge in sales, Tom?
1: Staying up when you've just been beat up. Selling is a cycle business, and it's amazing. You'll have a time period where everyone you talk to is nice, everyone wants to meet you, everyone's pleasant, you're closing lots of sales, you're making good money, and then you can just hit a period where everything is the opposite. People are fighting you, they don't want to meet you, they don't invest in the product, now you get timid, you get shy. And that, I think, is the biggest challenge, is to stay up when you really don't feel like it. I had a seminar in Taipei, and I flew, of course, 20-some hours to get to the seminar. And I caught a bug, and I was, I don't want to say deathly ill, but I could hardly stand. And I had the promoters, and I had a full six hours to teach. And I had them bring a chair in, a bar stool that was nice and high. And I just let the folks know that, hey, I'm going to just sit and visit with you today. Here's your workbook. And believe me, that was one of the longest six hours of my life. But a pro has to go on. A pro has to perform. And I think people in sales have to give it their best day every single day, regardless of how they feel.
0: That's great. Richard Emmons, an HMA consultant in Grant Pass, Oregon, wants to know, are effective selling techniques universal across all industries and in all age groups?
1: Pretty much, but they have to be tailor-made. It's of like words. If I were with a 60-year-old couple and I'm 28... I am not going to use words like awesome or gnarly about the product because I'm not relating to their culture or their age. I had people when they first met me when I was 23 or 4, I was doing pretty good. The 65-year-old couple, you could see the little dubiousness in their eyes when they first met me. But again, after an hour or two with them, they'd start warming up. And I had many of He remind us of our grandson. You know, we got a grandson at 23. How old are you? I'm 23 as well. Again, I think it's the way you relate to people. So I think that the Training is universal. Of course, when I go to Australia or New Zealand or Singapore or Malaysia, I spend a day out in the field with a top producer so that I can culturize my presentation. Because I think too many Americans go to a foreign country and they want to tell a person, this is what you need to do. And I think I'd rather share what works for us, but here's an idea to tailor-make it to your
0: culture. This is a question from John Lamb, Tom. I'm an engineer and I talk to the computer more than people. I don't know how to sell, whether it's real selling or just selling myself in an interview. Seriously, can sales skills be taught and how?
1: That is a myth, Michael. I have fought all of my life. And the myth is that there has to be natural-born salespeople and that the people in aren't don't do well in selling. Now, I'm going to share something real quick. There is an interesting extrovert personality and an interested introvert personality. This engineer, I'll guarantee you, leans towards being the interested introvert. Now, the interesting extrovert is the outgoing, gregarious, talkative person who gravitates into sales normally. I mean, everybody says, man, you got a mouth on, you should be in sales. The engineer technical specialist, they have a tendency to feel that they couldn't sell because the selling feels like it's uncomfortable. And that's why I try to teach people that are like our engineer friend that if you learn the art of questioning, you come across real sensitive and with your timidity and a little bit of fear, people respect that. I'd much rather do business with an interested introvert than an interesting extrovert. And Michael, some of the men and women I teach, and they make seven, eight hundred thousand a year—the highest-paid person in thousand-person company. You meet them, and you go. They don't come across like they're that powerful. Well, they are. They just are master questioners and great listeners. And in my books, the main thing I talk about is ask questions, don't tell people what to do.
0: For people who want a career and they want to make a lot of money, can you think of a career any better than sales if they're willing to do the work?
1: No, I think if a person will become a good student, number one, find something they love to do, number two, then become very coachable. Many people aren't coachable. They don't listen to what the company says works. They try to recreate the wheel. And I think you have to take what the company that's been 25 years in existence knows works, and you have to make it yours and internalize it. And that, I think, is what's one of the most important things. Work harder on yourself, as I said, to learn your skills. And I really believe that if the engineer can sell themselves on selling, they will really do well in that industry. But you do need to study. I wrote a book called Low-Profile Selling, How to Act Like a Lamb and Sell Like a Lion. I wrote that book for people that are not the traditional sales-type personality. And it's a softer, gentler approach, but it's the questions that make it all work.
0: How many books have you
1: written? Doctor? 13. 13. And who's your publisher? Do you have one publisher? Time Warner is my main, but a lot of them I self-publish. And the reason I do, like the dummies books, I don't publish those. They're in all the stores around. But I have three dummies books, closing the sale, prospecting, and handling objections for dummies. But most of my books, we market at our seminars, and that's our greatest outlet. But of the 13, I think one of my favorite books is low-profile selling.
0: What's been your most successful book out of all your books, sales-wise, numbers-wise?
1: How to Master the Art of Selling, which was my first book in 1979. I think it really hit the bookstores in '80. It's approaching over 2 million copies sold, and that has been the foundation, Michael, of my whole company, is that first book.
0: Is that Time Warner Distributed?
1: That's the Time Warner, but, of course, we market a lot of our products because if they call my 800 number, I can get their name and personalize it and write a little note to them, which I like to do. And I think a book autographed by an author has a lot more meaning than just a book that they ordered from a bookstore.
0: That's great. Are you still doing high-end customizable trainings for corporations?
1: Oh, yes. I don't think in the last 25 years there's an industry that I haven't done a customized program for, and that's really the thing I like to do best is to take a company that markets a product, and they're having a convention, 300 people, and write a workbook where I actually customize the whole presentation to their product. And to me, that is one thing most people in my business don't do. They pretty much have the same talk or same presentation for everybody. But I love the customized, high-end presentations, and thank you for asking.
0: How is Nightingale Conan been? with publishing your audio products? Has it been a good relationship? It's been
1: fine. We don't do an awful lot that's not one of our main areas of marketing the main area seems to be when i'm up on the stage with a thousand folks that have come into their seminar in detroit michigan we market the product and give them a tremendous discount and everyone listening we have a seminar in almost every major city or one day not our boot camp but hopefully the folks will hear of us coming to town and maybe come visit with me in person i'd love that
0: so you're at all of your seminars
1: Yes, I do all the training. Years ago, I decided to try to have a stable of teachers, trainers, and got up to five other folks that were teaching. And the bottom line, when all the smoke cleared, is we didn't do much better, and a lot of the folks wanted me to be coming and teaching. So just got me now. Yeah, they want Tommy Hopkins. They want to see you. Nice. Anyone calls me Tommy, they've been going a long time with me.
0: Well, we're out of time here, you've been very generous. And I know I've bombarded you with questions, but I think the content's really important. A real honor. I really appreciate your time. Well, Michael, thank you, and thanks to all of you that listened, and have a wonderful forever. You too. Have a great day. It's Michael with Michael HardToFindSeminars.com. in another bonus tip. How would you like to turn your $28 book or ebook or even a concept in your head into a $3,900 information product? I'll provide you the secrets on how to do this. If you'd like a completely free 30-day trial of my system for turning your simple book or even just a concept in your mind into an information product that you can sell for $97. $197 or even as much as $3900 or more this system includes a whole range of tricks and tips to help you pack your audio program full of great stories that take control of your listeners brains my information product creation system comes with my personal guarantee that you'll create an information product worth from $97 to $497 that's designed to sell like hotcakes this is a 30 day free trial if you'd like information Information on this, please email me at Michael at HardtofindSeminars.com. In the subject line, write in all caps, $28 book, and I'll email you information on how to turn your $28 book or even a concept in your mind into a 3900 dollars information product. Hi, this is Michael Senoff with Michael Senoff's Hardtofind Seminars.com. Here is another bonus tip in a valuable service that I offer to select clients. If you can talk into an ordinary telephone, you could be selling your own high-priced audio programs in as little as seven days. This is the easiest way on earth to create a series of powerful audio recordings for your own information product. I call you on an ordinary telephone and interview you live on a series of related hot topics about your niche subject. I take care of all the editing, all the technical stuff, and I give you the finish- mp3s or WAV files and audio transcripts I only have time to give this deluxe personalized service to a few more carefully selected clients if you're interested in developing and creating your own valuable information products that you could have complete in as short as seven days and be selling for as high as 300 500 even thirty nine hundred dollars please contact me at Michael at hard to find In the subject line of your email, please write Info Product Information in all capital. Make sure I have your name and a way to contact you by phone, and we can talk about your specific ideas. Or you may call me at 858-274-7851. Hi, it's Michael Senoff here with another bonus tip from Michael Senoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. It's called an audio infomercial. Your audio infomercial, which I create for you, will sell more products of yours faster, easier, and for less cost than any conventional advertising method, and I guarantee it 100%. Imagine catching yourself at concert pitch talking about what makes your business or your product service unique. What makes it special? Imagine taking a professional recording of that perfect sales presentation that I create for you and giving it to your prospect as an audio CD or an internet download from your website. I can do this for you faster than you ever thought possible with my personalized audio informational recording service. If you're interested in this unique service, please contact me at michael at hardtofindseminars.com. In the subject line of your email, in all capitals, write AUDIO INFOMERCIAL, and I will get back with you with more information. Hi, it's Michael Senoff here with another tip from Michael Senoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. This tip is one that is dear to my heart. And the reason why is because I know what a difference it can make for your business. It has to do with editing your audio recordings. If you are using audio online or offline to sell, market, and educate your prospects, this tip will be the most important tip you ever hear from me. Editing your audio content. It before you publish it to your site simply gets better results compared to unedited audio content think about this a new song on the radio may be in the editing studio for months before it's released to the public a new movie may take years in the editing process before it's released to the big screen or on DVD well-written sales letters online promotions books and commercials are all meticulously edited to perfection before they are released you would never dream of releasing an unedited version of any of these sales vehicles. So why would you publish unedited audio? Unedited audio content is abandoned by the listener faster, it produces less sales for you, and it actually destroys your credibility as a publisher. So why are we seeing so much unedited content proliferating the Internet? The reason is simple. There are very few people who offer audio audio editing services who know what they are doing. Editing audio is kind of like plastic surgery. It's part skill and part an art form. You need someone with both the skill to do it and someone who understands marketing and selling. A poor result can be gained by both a skilled surgeon as well as a good technical editor. Who you choose to do your audio editing can be one of the best investments in your business. It's hard to FindSeminars.com, we have been editing online and offline web content for six years. We have perfected a proprietary editing system that has been proven to get your customers to listen to your audio content longer and to listen to it more often, resulting in more sales for you more often, and with clean, edited audio, you can demand more money for your products and services. It's just like in life. You only have one chance to make a first impression. Every time you release and publish unedited audio content, you are projecting a poor, sloppy, I-don't-care attitude that turns your prospects off. Do your prospects a favor. Service them. Give them your best. Do them a favor by giving them professionally edited audio messages, interviews, teleseminars, and selling promotions by editing your audio. We provide full audio editing services that are fast and at a reasonable rate. We know that editing your audio content can easily pay for itself 20 times over. Call me, Michael Sanoff, for more information at 858-274-7851. I'll spend some time on the phone with you. We'll determine what audio content you're publishing. I'll be glad to offer you a free consultation on my ideas. I'll review some of your audio, and together we'll come up with a solution that gets you better results. Thanks for listening. Here is another bonus tip from Michael Sinoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. Did you know that I have about 25 hours of exclusive consultations on my audio clips page, letter G? If you go to HardToFindSeminars.com, go to the audio clips section. This is a section where I have over 117 hours of audio interviews. Page G is nothing but consultations on information product development. You have over 25 hours of me giving my best advice on how to create, develop, produce, market, and sell audio information products. Go to page G if you want to learn how to create and market your own information products. Enjoy. There's an interview in the section of the audio recordings at Hard to Find Seminars. It's with a business buying expert. His name is Art Hamill. If you go back to my site, hardtofindseminars.com, and go to the product section, along the left side in light blue, you will see a list of topics. Look for the one that says business buying. Click on that link, and you'll be taken to about seven hours of exclusive interviews with Arthur Hamill. Arthur Hamill has purchased multi-million dollar businesses over 200 of them in his lifetime and he will tell you how to do the same thing. It's some fascinating content and I wanted you to know about it. Here's another tip. It has to do with Podcast. Did you know that not only are all 187 hours of my audio recordings available for free online at my website, hardtofindseminars.com, but each one of these audio recordings is also in the form of what's called a podcast. A podcast is a simple way for you to digitally and automatically subscribe to online and new recordings and have them downloaded into your mobile audio player like an iTunes, iPod, or any other digital audio playing device. But the way you find my recordings on podcasts is by going to one of the number one sites called iTunes. iTunes is a virtual library for music, spoken word, and Podcast. The music and spoken word audios you'll pay money for, but the podcasts are absolutely free. And you can subscribe to my podcast. All you do is go to iTunes, you'll automatically download the iTunes software, and then you will search. Michael Senoff in the subject line and you will find most of my audio recordings right there available for you to download. This is great if you're on the road or you're on another computer and if you have a mobile device it will automatically suck them right into your digital mp3 player and you can take any of the audio recordings on the road with you. They will also automatically notify you of any new recordings that I post as podcasts. Also if you search through Google or Yahoo or any of the major search engines, Michael Senoff, and then podcast, you'll find other resources with other podcast search engines that host my podcast. I hope this helps, and if you're a podcast listener, I think you'll be happy about this. So go over to iTunes and download the iTunes software and search Michael Senoff, and you'll have all my audio recordings available for you right there. If you'd like to hone your skills as a copywriter, I have available for you the The largest collection of one of the all-time master copywriters. His name is Claude Hopkins. Do a search on Claude Hopkins or go to my website, ClaudeHopkinsAdvertising.com. Claude Hopkins was one of the founders of modern-day advertising. He was one of the all-time legends in the industry. And Myself and a partner have authored a book called the Claude Hopkins Advertising Collection. We have also searched thousands of newspapers to pull out. Now all his classic ads. He's been responsible for building companies like Pepsi toothpaste, Palmolive, Schlitz malt liquor, many household products like puffed wheat cereal that you're still using in your kitchens today, and he was the master and the genius behind this. He was responsible for many of the cars we drive today, like the Oldsmobile. Go check it out, ClaudeHopkinsAdvertising.com. If you want the ultimate in education on how to write copy, you cannot pass this up. So go on over to ClaudeHopkinsAdvertising.com and learn from the best. Here is another bonus resource for you, and it's about a section on my site that has about 15 hours of audio interviews with copywriting experts, including Brian Keith-Voyles, including Carl Gilletti, including Eugene Schwartz. You will not find this content anywhere. It will take you to an entire collection of audio recordings, MP3 downloads, and transcripts of some of my best interviews on the subject of copywriting. You'll be able to play them, download them, print the transcripts, and it's a collection you will not find anywhere else. If you want an education on copywriting, you will not find anything better than this. You know, if you're looking for a product that you can really hustle, something that you're learning from all the techniques, and you may want to check out another website I have. It's called id10.com. That's i. D is in dog pen dot com. And what you're gonna find out at idpen.com is one of my very first businesses. It's a business I started in my one bedroom apartment when I had absolutely no money and I needed a product to sell. It's a pen that I manufacture right out of my house. I've been doing this for ten years without any machinery or any equipment. I had a pen that I could manufacture for seventeen cents and resell by the hundreds wholesale for a dollar and fifty cents each. It's a product that has kept food on my table and kept the bills paid for ten years, and it's an exciting opportunity. That if you're looking for something to hustle to use your copywriting skills or direct mail education, it may be something you want to go check out. So go head on over to idpen.com. There, at the front page, you'll hear me do telemarketing. You can hear me get sales right on the front page. It's fascinating stuff, and I'd urge you if you're looking for something to hustle to go check it out. If you go back to my site and in the products page along the light blue section down on the left you're going to see another link that has a lot of value and it all has to do with joint ventures. Go to that page and you're going to hear about an offer on a joint venture system like no other. If you read the letter there it will describe all the benefits and the offer is virtually risk free meaning you can order my joint venture system have it sent to you with paying a dime, have 30 days to review it, to digest all the information, and only if you're happy with it after 30 days do you pay. It's an offer you can't lose on, and if you're enjoying this content, you're really going to love what I have waiting for you on the Joint Venture link at the products page at hardtofindseminars.com. Go check it out. I think you'll really enjoy it.